Well, good morning. I thank God for our music here and for praising the Lord alongside you this morning on this beautiful morning without rain. And uh, hey, if you have your Bible this morning with you, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. If you find your way there to Genesis 7, verse 1, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female, to each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Sometimes we wonder how that happened. The, uh, the seven count was for the ones that they're going to ultimately sacrifice. That's why they needed extra ones there. Verse 3, also seven each of birds and of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after the seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah, with his, wife, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, birds, and every creeping thing that was on earth, two by two they went into the ark of Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Verse 10, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventh day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the deep, he's talking about the subterranean water there that came up from the earth, were broken up and the windows of the heaven were open. There's the rain for the first time on earth. And the rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word this morning. Father, I pray that you'd speak to each one of our hearts this morning, Father, that we would see your truth, Father. We realize, Lord, that uh, you have so many things to say to us, Father. So I pray this morning that you would help each one of us, Father, to remove the distractions from our minds, Father, beginning with the pastor here, and that we'd have a singular focus this morning, Father, and that's to hear from you. Father, speak to our hearts, Lord, that we all might leave this place in just a little bit different than the way we came in. Father, we thank you for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting, as we study the book of Genesis, we've talked about this since we began the book of Genesis here, but Genesis is the foundation of all the Bible. And you can pretty much see the fundamental truths that are found throughout the whole Bible in the first 11 chapters. And I want you to ponder this thought for just a second this morning. As we look at Genesis chapter 7 here, which you just read, this is an incredible study of theology. We're going to see this morning, as we discuss what we just read here, the doctrine of God the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of sin, and also the doctrine of man as we understand his nature. And as we begin to unpack this scripture here in just a moment, I want you to ponder this thought. You've heard this illustration before, I believe, but I want you to think about this. Imagine if you called tomorrow morning to go to an attorney's office and you found out that you had a rich relative that passed away and your name was in the will, okay? Boy, that'd be kind of exciting. I mean, I hope the guy would give me a lot of money or whatever it might be here, a property, whatever. But I want you to look at God's scripture this morning as we unpack it that same way this morning. God, I'm anxious to see what you have for me personally, what you've written upon these pages here that's going to impact my life today. And as I prepared this message over the last few weeks here, God touched my heart in so many ways. There's some things in here that I hadn't really reflected on before. And so I'm praying for the same thing for you this morning as we look at God's word together here this morning. I want to give you a little bit of background here to what we just read here. 
But Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him to do. Hebrews 11:7, which looks back at Noah's life, he says, By faith, Noah built the ark. I want to ponder that thought for just a second this morning. How was it that Noah had faith? Noah wasn't perfect. There was nobody perfect in that generation. Only one perfect person ever lived on this earth. You know who it was, Jesus Christ. Why did he say that Noah had faith in him? I can tell you a simple one reason why. Noah believed God. Did you hear that? It's huge in our faith. Do I truly believe God? You may have noticed I titled the message that God means what he says. Do we believe him though? Do we truly believe what God has? So for a hundred years, Noah built that ark. We're going to see a picture of it here in just a few moments. But he built it in the middle of a desert near no water. Here's building a big box, a big boat, not even close to water. And also, the earth at that time had never seen rain. So Noah's building this ark in the middle of everything. You can only imagine the questions from all his neighbors and all those people walking by. What's going on here? Why are you doing this? Well, Noah told them. He told them the whole story. God's getting ready to punish us because we're evil people. It also says in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It's, it's indicating right here, and it's verifying what I just told you, that Noah was preaching the righteousness of God. God has a plan for life. God has a purpose for life. God wants to do an incredible work in your life. All you need to do is what? Believe. Believe God for this. He preached for 120 years and not one single convert. How sad. How sad. God said he was going to destroy every single living thing in the earth. What did he do? He did exactly that, except for Noah and his precious family. You may be asking this morning that all those people that live back in Noah's life, how could they be so blind? How could they be so blind to all these years of seeing an ark, hearing Noah preach these things, and wondering about God in heaven? How could I totally reject him? How could that be? Well, I want to say this morning that as we look out in the common, in the common square out here in our nation today, you know, it's, it's no different than today. We have a lot of blind people walking around today. We're seeing the doctrine of sin right here. The doctrine of sin. We've studied it when Adam and Eve ate that fruit of the tree, the forbidden tree. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus Christ says this. He says, days just prior to my return are going to be like what? By the day, like the days of Noah. He's saying, when I return to this earth, the second time I come, this earth is going to look just like it did at Noah's day. What does that mean? Oh, my gosh. I want you to keep your finger in Genesis for a second, but I want you to flip over very quickly here to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a minute. Jesus in Matthew 24 not only said it's going to be like the days of Noah, but he said, I want you to stay on the alert. He's warning us, be alert. Pay attention here. He said, I'm coming again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. What's that day going to look like? The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, God's telling you and I what it's going to look like in the final days here. The reason I want you to turn here this morning and look at it, I want you to remember these things, maybe even think about it, marking it in your Bible here. Because I want to think about these things and make sure that I stay alert, just like Jesus Christ told us in Matthew 24. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. He's talking about the days of Noah here. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. What is he saying there in verse 5? He says, man, and all these people are acting like they're godly, but they're really denying their power. They're not living for me. It's amazing here that 
Jesus Christ is telling us and forewarning us and prophesying to you and I that before he comes again, the days are going to be evil just like in the days of Noah. had the opportunity to hear a briefing from the Attorney General's office on Friday with the Sheriff's Department and chaplain's meeting, and uh, they were talking about trafficking. I'd known about it, known a little bit, but I had no idea about the extent of this. I don't know if you've heard these things before either, but the trafficking business in America, it's all about money. But what they do and in, in, uh, in, in, inhibit people and incarcerate, not incarcerate, but uh, take people into slavery and sell them is a $150 billion a year business in America. This broke my heart. Virginia is number 15 out of all the states of human trafficking cases. This will really break your heart. The average age of a person entering into the human trafficking is 13 years old. 83%, and a lot of times we have a misnomer in this, I did, but 83% of the human traffic victims in the U.S. are U.S. citizens. And this will break your heart as well. 80% of the women, 80% of the people that go into, or they're, called, or they're pulled into the human trafficking business are women and little girls, 13-year-old girls. You know, it's interesting in the days of Noah that people had turned their back on God, did not believe God's word. Is it the same today? The question before you and I this morning, as we look at this scripture and the story of Noah, but also the application to today, do you truly believe this morning that God means what he says? Do you really believe that? Do I believe that everything that God says in his Bible is true? Do I believe that God has called me out? Do I believe that God has set me apart? Do I believe that God is going to provide for all our needs according to his riches in heaven? Do I believe that nothing is impossible with God? Do I believe God's promises? Most theologians would say that there's more than 30,000 promises in God's word. Do I believe and stand on those promises? You know, it's interesting here too in Isaiah and Jeremiah and all four gospels in the book of Acts. The Bible tells us that we have ears, but we do not understand. We have eyes and do not perceive. Over and over, God tells us. Jesus Christ says, hey, pay attention. Stay alert. Make sure that you're watching what's going on here. Don't miss it. There's too many people in America today that are missing it. It's interesting here that we're just not hearing these things. We're not seeing these things. We're not understanding these things as a nation anymore. God has called you and I out as part of Jesus Christ's family as part of the body of believers here in Beaverdam, to make that difference. We're not losing the battle. We're losing ground, but we're not losing the ultimate battle here. Jesus Christ is going to win it and be victorious in the end here. The question for you and I is, how much do we want to win it by? Story is told about a young man that got out of the military, and he found out there was an opening for a telegraph operator at the local office there in his town. So he went down there and walked in the office there, and there's a number of people that had already filled out the application waiting in line. And So he went up to the counter there and filled out his application, gave it to the lady there, and went over and sat down. It was kind of a noisy place there, but in the background he could hear the telegraph ticking away back there. So he sat there for a few minutes, and nobody was being called back there. So he sat there for a few minutes longer and finally stood up, walked in the back room. All the other guys that had applied ahead of him were sitting there, what, how audacity, what audacity for that guy, how audacious for that guy to walk back there. Why do you walk back there? About 10 minutes later, he walks back out with the interviewer. The interviewer saying, you guys can go ahead and leave. We just hired this guy right here. What? That's not fair. We got here first. We didn't even get interviewed. How come? Well, the interviewer said, hey, for the last hour we've been telegraphing out, ticking out. If you can understand this message, come back. You have the job. 
Oh, to God that you and I would understand God's Word like that. That we'd realize what God is telling you and I personally. As I mentioned a few moments ago, that we would realize that God has written His name all over this book. That God knows our name. God has this incredible life for you and I. Unfortunately, a lot of times that we, the way we do not realize God in our life is we miss out what He has for us. I had a great time at a wedding I was part of the last couple of days here, but talking to some folks that I'd known for years and been on mission trips with before, and talking about mission trips. They were sharing with me, two different ones, sharing with me how it changed their life, going on a mission trip with this church. They didn't realize that they could do such a thing as share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that mission trip woke them up. They had an incredible opportunity in that mission trip and came back, and they became soul winners because of that. I want to show you a picture right now family from our church. We had a number of families go up and see the ark up there and uh, that uh, Ken Ham just built. But here's a picture up here in the ark. I don't know if you can see it very well, but you'll notice something here I want to point out in just a second. Verse 7 that we just looked at in Genesis, verse 1 in chapter 7 that we just looked at here, it said, The Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You know, the ark is the ark of salvation. That was a way to... To escape death at that time in that world. The ark. God provided that. God provided grace. God provided a method of salvation. The instruction that God gave to build that ark, there was only one door. You see that, that, that picture in the ark back there? There's a door. But what is on that door? Ken Ham has done this. It's beautiful. It's a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's just a cross on that door there. But it's a picture of our salvation that we have today. The ark is a picture of salvation. We've talked about that already. Think about this. God told Noah, come into the ark. Come into the ark, you and your family. It's just the same as Jesus telling you and I, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation for salvation. Jesus Christ has given that to you and I. There's a cross on that door for a very specific reason. We need to understand that all the way back in the very beginning, God was telling us about Jesus Christ that he's going to provide a way for you and I. And what do we have to do to have that salvation? The same thing that Noah had. We just need to believe. Do I really believe? With all my life, do I really believe? That everything I have, do I believe God has something for me? We're seeing the doctrine of salvation right here. We're not seeing the doctrine of grace. But I want to go a little deeper here with the whole grace idea for just a second. A number of weeks ago, I talked to you about the kind of funny little scenario there of uh, painting Noah's arcs on the children's wing back here and some people put a little picture of Noah's ark and these animals on their wall of their child and it's a beautiful picture and I said it's kind of interesting though that uh, that ark represented a lot of people getting killed because of their sin you know you see the other side of the coin here though it's also a picture of God's grace that God provided a way for mankind and provides a way today for mankind to have a relationship with him and to have a home someday with he- in heaven with him to live eternally with him as opposed to live eternally in hell. I want you to look at something here a little deeper if you've got your Bible still open at Genesis 7. If not, it's worth looking at. I want you to understand here that uh, as we see these things, maybe you've never noticed this before, but as we see these things, I want you to ponder the thought that God's understanding is unsearchable. It says that in Isaiah 40. That we'll never get to the end of seeing the depth of God's word. And as we read God's Word more and study God's Word more, we're going to see things that maybe we've never seen before. We're going to grow in our faith, and it's going to enhance what we understand and believe about our faith. I believe about our salvation here. I believe about grace here. 
But Genesis 7, 4 says this. Look at this. It says, after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. I want you to understand what's going on here. Noah, for 100 years, has been working on this ark and got it finally finished. It's, ah, it's finally done. God says, okay, load the animals now. And God brought all the animals, so they loaded all the animals up. And then he says, bring your family into the ark. And they're sitting there waiting, kind of, okay, God, we're ready to go. This good to go. And what does God say? I want you to wait seven more days. Seven more days. This is a picture of God's grace. He's saying, wait seven more days. You can only imagine Noah saying, okay, I'm ready, but God, whatever you say, I've made you this far, I'm going to obey seven more days. In verse 10, it says that it came to pass after seven days that the water and floods came. But for seven days, God gave this world grace. He gave them grace. For seven days, the world could have come and knocked at that door of the ark and said, I believe, God, can I get in? God would have said, yeah, come on in. Seven more days, God said, hey, come and see me. Come believe on me. You've heard Noah all these years. You've seen us build the ark here. You've heard the story. God's getting ready to rain. Did a wedding over the weekend, as I told you a minute ago. It was out in uh, Goochland. And uh, the way I went, it was Spring Road. Went out there Friday night for the rehearsal. It's a good little drive. It was about an hour and ten minutes to get out to where they're having this wedding at. Beautiful setting. Drove fine out there. Was kind of waiting for water. And no problem. The next day, Saturday afternoon, going back out to the wedding. I had plenty of time. I was wanting to be there quite early. I got to Spring Road. Guess what? Spring Road was closed. What? I got no idea how to get to where I was going from that point in Spring Road. But thank God for GPS today, I guess. Got there about 20 minutes, 30 minutes early. But... uh I was pondering what we're talking about here today. Can you imagine those people hearing this story all this time and also realizing that uh, Noah said there's going to be a flood? We've never seen rain before, never seen water come up out of the earth before. But Noah said it's going to flood the earth and kill everybody. So it begins raining. You know, we're concerned with the rain we've just had. People not get injured or roads destroyed or whatever it might be or homes destroyed. Can you imagine sitting in their house realizing, I wonder if what Noah is saying is right. You know what, though? God had already closed the door. It was too late. It was too late. It's interesting here, though, that he gave them those seven days extra. After all these hundreds of years, after all this time preaching it, still gave them more time. All they had to do was believe. You know what? All we have to do today is believe as well. Do I really believe that God means what he said? Genesis 7:16. we didn't read this morning, but it says that God shut them in. There was only one door to the ark. You see right there, it's where the cross is at. There was only one way to get in. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me but by the Father. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. I'm sorry about that. God has a plan all the way back then. There's only one way for salvation. It's through God. The only way we can have salvation today is through God, through Jesus Christ. It's interesting here, when God closed that door, he was already on the ark. Salvation was simply shutting that door. He's going to seal that ship. Remember how they talked about building it back in Genesis 6? God specified the exact specifications for that ark. How much, how, how, what size it would be, how big it would be, what kind of wood to use, the rooms inside, the windows for ventilation around the top there. Then he waterproofed the whole thing with pitch. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but remember the root word for pitch? Is atonement or covering? God covered that ark with pitch. So why? So it was waterproof. Think about this for just a second. Noah knew when he was in the ark 
that he was in the safest place in the world. Don't miss this thought in our salvation through Jesus Christ. The safest place that you and I can be in all this world is in Jesus Christ. Just like Noah was in that ark, we can be in Jesus Christ merely by doing one thing, by believing God, by believing what he said. God shut that door. The judgment fell when he shut that door. It was too late to receive salvation. We've talked about that in here many times over the years. When is it too late for me to make a decision for Jesus Christ? Could it be the last time I hear about it? Last time I think about making that decision? I've been around people all the time for many years now that are lost. I know they're lost because we talk about it. They just don't want to do it right now. I used to kind of give up at that point, but now I kind of push back a little bit. I say, well, is there any reason specific to you and I understand? Or is there something I can explain in a greater way? But the question for you and I is, when does that extra seven days that God has given us in our life run out? Is there going to be a time in my life when it's just too late? The rains come. We no longer have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Noah realized he was in the safest place in all the world. With what's going on in our world today, all the confusion, all the things going on. Where's the safest place we could be? There was a day when I was going through officer candidate school years ago, a number of pounds ago as well. But uh, one of the things I figured out kind of going through that is that uh, there's going to be a day when they pick on you personally. They pick on everybody all day long, but they usually single one or two guys out each day and kind of really hone in on you so you can hold your breath and stand by and try to get to that day because, you know, the beating is coming. But um, one day I was assigned to be the guide on carer, and it was the little flag you may have seen troops marching before, and there's one guy up front that carries a little platoon flag, and, and there's a commander marches up front too, but you walk right up front, and so you're responsible for carrying that guide on that little pole with the flag. So when we woke up that morning, the Drill sergeant told me to get the guide on and report out front there with a platoon. So I did that and ran out there. And as I'm running out there, I'm realizing that I'm the only one. Out of the, there's four, four platoons there in the company. I'm the only one standing out front of the platoon with a flag. I realized there's something wrong with this picture. Here it goes. And so sure enough, I'm standing there at attention with this flag. Well, I'm supposed to, I thought. And um, so all of a sudden, the drill sergeant runs over to me and gets to my face just about this close and starts yelling at me, Do you see anybody else out here with a guide on? I look, Don't look! Okay. Hold that flag there, and he says, put that thing away. So I goes, yes, sir, I ran back in the barracks there, put the flag away, ran out, and what do I see is I'm running back out. The other three platoons bringing the flags out. So I get standing out front there and in front of the platoon and don't have my guide on, and here comes the drill sergeant again. Do you see everybody else had the flag? And I look, no, don't look. Happened about three or four times back and forth. It was unbelievable. I, I realized that I, I just determined which day is going to be mine, and I'm just going to get picked on all day long. Sure enough, it didn't stop the rest of the day, but um, as I was thinking about that story, one of the more confusing days in my life, and uh, (laughs) I didn't know which way it was up half the day there, but there's a lot of people today, just like in Noah's day, that couldn't be any more confused just as I was that day. Don't know what way is up, not really sure where truth is at. One of the things we see going on in the world out here, which is so sad, that people no longer want to know the truth. It's kind of whatever I make up my mind to say, whatever I want to decide to do in my life, it's going to be right today. If I decide this, you know, there's too many people walking around out there right now that have made themselves God as well. 
But there's coming a day in every single person's life when that door of the ark is going to be closed, the rain's going to come, and life is over. Judgment falls. It's important for you and I to understand that we don't need to be confused. The Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion, that we can know the truth. We can stand on God's truth and understand it. But do I really want to take the time to do that? Do I really want to understand God's truth in a great way? You know, think about all these things, about the ark and all the things that God did for Noah back then and the grace he showed him and the extra seven days he gave him. So what? So what? Let me tell you so what here this morning. There's another door that's open here today. There's another open door here today. The greatest mission this church has is to help you understand that we can have salvation in Jesus Christ. Just like it was in Noah's day, Noah, I want you to make sure that people know that judgment's coming. We need to let the world know that there is truth in this world. We need to know that Jesus Christ came, He lived, He died upon that cross, He rose on the third day, and He lives in heaven today. That we have truth. We can give you hope in this world that seems to be growing darker and darker with hopelessness today. We have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day of our life. Scripture tells us in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. That's why that cross on that door of the ark back there. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In Revelation 3, 20, you know this scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus Christ has provided a way for you and I to be saved. We don't need to die in the flood. The door's open right now, but any day that door could be closing permanently. Just like that day when, when God closed that door in the ark. God had to do that. God closes the door and nobody can open it. God opens the door and nobody can close it. I'm here to tell you that we have an incredible opportunity. God is going to shut that door before long here on this earth. There's two ways that door gets closed. First of all, we die. If we die without Jesus Christ, it's too late. I'm sorry. It's too late. Then also we realize that there's a rapture coming one day. Some people wonder if the rapture is going to take us out of here. I can tell you, Scripture says it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of the God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We don't know when that rapture is coming. Jesus Christ was asked by his apostles, when are you coming back? He says the only person that knows that is God. Nobody knows it except for God. It also tells us he's coming as a thief in the night. So we don't know. But I can tell you this with absolute certainty, that each day we live on this earth, the time when Jesus Christ is coming back is getting closer. I don't know, it could be next week, could be tomorrow, could be years from now. But when God closes that door we just talked about, it's over. I'm here to tell you it's over. Story about a mining disaster up in Pennsylvania. It ended up being a good story, but it was a tragedy when it first happened. There's nine coal miners up in a, in a mine up in northern Pennsylvania about five years ago that became trapped 240 feet underneath the earth. They were down there drilling, and they accidentally drilled into an old vacated shaft. But the shaft was filled with water. So as that drill bit came out of that wall there, the water gushed in. It swept all these nine miners against the back wall there. It started floating up with the water that was flushed in as fast as it could there. They realized we need to get to the place where there's a high ceiling, so maybe there'll be a little air pocket in there. In the meantime, the people up above realized there was a problem down there. These miners finally found their way to a little air pocket and realized this air is not going to last nine guys very long. It was cold and freezing as well. 
These guys realized that, listen very carefully, if they did not get help from above, they were going to die. They needed that help from above. Well, they immediately put a build, a, a drill bit to work from the top up there. Hundreds of people gathered there to, to rescue these miners. They drilled a very narrow hole, but they could shoot down information to them. They could get information line down there, shoot down oxygen to those guys down there, continue to fill that area with oxygen. So these guys survived until they got another trench, another tunnel drilled from an angle to them that, so it didn't came in on top of them. They rescued all nine workers. Praise God for that. But I want you to listen to this for a second. Those miners knew that if they did not get help from above, it was all over. There's too many people walking around today that don't realize there's help from above. It breaks my heart that our nation leads the suicides for teenagers in the world. More teenagers commit suicide in America than any other nation in the world. How come? I venture to say probably because they don't realize there's help from above. How many people living in just miserable marriages? Hope marriages. They don't realize there's help from above. How many people living today in hopelessness out here? Being confused and all these things. And, and, and this breaks my heart as well too. The anger level in our nation here is going to a new high. It's already there. You know, we're, we're kind of concerned as maybe evil is coming to America. I want to, I want to attest to you this morning. Evil's already here. It's because we don't realize there's hope from above. We miss the opportunity that God gives you and I to, to share that. I want you to know this with absolute certainty because I've seen it in my own life. There's people that rub shoulders with you every week during the week sometime that need hope. They may not express it. You kind of ask them. This is a standard question. This standard question and also a standard answer. How's it going? Oh, fine. Fine. That, that guy could be just as miserable as could be, but he's not going to tell you. Unless you really get personal with him, kind of develop that relationship and then earn the opportunity to kind of get serious with him, get transparent with him. The question for you and I this morning, is God waiting on you or are we waiting on God? God's given us his answers. God's given us the commission. God's given us the directive. God's waiting on you and I. The most important question this morning for everybody in this room this morning, though, have you come in through that door yet that's open? That door is open right now. Jesus is waiting. Jesus is calling. Jesus desires for you to have a relationship with him. That's why God sent him to this earth, that we might have that relationship. The question for you and I today as well is, why not come in today? It's interesting, all the opportunities I have to share the gospel, funerals being one of them, but other times as well. I can't begin to tell you the number of reasons I've heard people tell me why they just don't want to do it today. Just don't feel like it's right for me right now. Or they have a lot of different reasons, but... A lot of people are here in the warning, but for whatever reason, they reject it. Maybe they figure God's not serious. Maybe they figure there's another way. There's that going around in the world today, too, especially in America. Universalism. All the gods are the same. As long as I worship a God, I'm good to go. No, I'm sorry. Then they call Christians intolerant. Well, there's only one living God who has a living Son, who has a Holy Spirit. There's only one. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. You know, I want to kind of wrap up this morning with this thought for a second. If you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, do we really believe what God, that he means what he said? Do we really feel that God's word is for me? Well, that's for other people. You know, that's kind of the pastor's job or the deacon's job or the Sunday school teacher's job. Or, you know, that's not really for me. Do I really understand that God's word is for me? What God said in his holy word, does that apply to me? 
Does it mean what he says it means? Jesus Christ told us to go and tell the good news to every person in this world. One of the things that we do when we accept Jesus Christ is what we call repentance. And this is huge. And thinking about all the things we've talked about this morning, and hopefully a couple of those things maybe had your name on them, definitely had my name on them. When we repent, you understand what that means? It means I've had a change of mind. I've had a change of mind. I've been going this way with my life, and I'm changing my mind today, and I'm going to start going this way. It'll tell you in Webster's Dictionary that it means changing from your own life to God's life, to following Jesus Christ. But when we change our mind, when we decide, I've been going this way for my whole life, or I'm 40 years old, I've been going this way, or I'm 15 years old, I'm going this way, and I want to go that way. When we change our mind, God changes our heart. But he does that because he realizes this person's serious. This person has a real desire to follow after me. Scripture would tell us that I feel great regret. I, I, I'm feeling contrite in my life right now. I'm, I'm broken right now. And you've seen it before, maybe you've experienced it before. People, when they come to know, understand who Jesus Christ is and want him, and I, want, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to begin following him because my life over here has been a mess or hadn't been going where I wanted to go. And they're, they're broken in their heart and they go this way. When God sees that, he changes our heart. I want you to understand knowledge, though, and wisdom. You know, we can know things in our head, and it's just there. You know, we know George Washington, the first president, Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War. We know all these things in our head and have knowledge there. But when we get God in our head, and we truly believe, we're talking about here, repentance. You know what happens? He changes our heart. But out of that heart flows, what? Action, right? When I believe and I have faith in God, it, it's going to cause me to go build an ark, just like Noah did. When I understand who God is and I truly believe in my heart, out of my life is going to flow works. Remember what James said? Faith without works is what? Dead, right? And so when I repent in my life, then I have a change of mind. I change, I desire to change the direction I'm going. When I make that change in my life, God's going to help me because he's going to change my heart. But out of that changed heart, there's going to be action. There's going to be works that come out of my life. God's going to see things in my life that he never saw before. I'm going to do things I've never done before because right now I want to serve my Savior. I'm following after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells us, follow me, follow me. You know, the question this morning is I'm following closely. I want you to understand this last thing this morning about repentance, though. It's not enough on the day of your salvation when you're 10 years old or 20 years old, whatever it was, to say, I repent today, I want to change the direction, and just figure I'm going the new direction now, so I don't need to do it again. I personally believe and also understand the walk with Christ and the fact that we're all human. We have that human mankind nature, so our nature is not to go in the right direction automatically. There needs to be a time in our life on a regular basis that I'm repenting. God, I'm changing my mind because I realize in my life I'm not going exactly where I want to go. God, I'm not going in a powerful enough way where I want to go. God, I'm not following your son Jesus Christ close enough. God, I want to get behind Jesus Christ and follow more closely. I want to see Jesus Christ in a powerful way in my life. God, forgive me my sins. I desire to change my mind again. I don't want to have this nature of any sort in my life. A lot of times we can get to a point in our life too and realize I'm doing a pretty good job with these things. But God, show me the things in my life, God, that aren't where they need to be. God, reveal these things to me in my life that I might be able to walk in a greater way of you. Because, God, I don't want to miss a single thing that you have for me. I want it all, God. 
I want to walk closer, God. I love you, God. I want to walk with you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, and it's a change of action in our life. We need to understand that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, good question for you this morning here. Think about the little cards we passed out last week that uh, saved you a seat. Remember that? Has God told this week who He wants to save that, who He wants you to share that card with? With the Lord's help, have you done it? I'll tell you right now that Amy and I had an opportunity two times this week. I did. I'm not really sure if she's in New York today, but I'm not sure if she had some other times without me. But had two times together, eating meals out. And both times led to a great conversation. Both people that we share that car with don't go to church. One of them lives in Mount Pillar. He's working in a restaurant down in Richmond. So I don't see him here today, but we're planning to come our day. He said he'd try to get out here one day. Works on Sundays a lot, he said. But we shared that card. God wants to see works in our life. It takes no works to get saved. It's merely a matter of believing, just like Noah. Faith justified Noah because he believed. There's a Dutch pastor that was arrested in Nazi Germany in 1942. He was arrested because, and a number of people did this back then, as you know, many famous stories. This pastor was arrested for hiding Jews in his home, in his family. The Nazis found out about it, came to his house, arrested those Jews, shipped them off, but also arrested that pastor and put him and his family in a freight car, blowed him off to go to a concentration camp. The word had gotten out to quite a few people there that, uh, that they had these Nazi concentration camps and good things weren't happening there. They were sending them to there. They had no idea of the extent of what was going on, but they realized it was bad. So as he was pushed and shoved with his family into this concentration uh, freight train headed toward a concentration camp, had no idea if he was going to Auschwitz or Dachau or Buchenwald. Wasn't really sure where he was going, but they prayed the whole way there, and they're fearful for their lives and realized this could be the end. And very, very traumatic trip. Took forever to get there. The trip finally ended. And the train came to halt, and they slid open those doors, and they kind of appreciated the fresh air, but got out and stood alongside the train station there. And um, they were just praying about the next steps or where they're going to go or where the camp was at from there. And all of a sudden, instead of getting tragic news, they got good news. There had been some subversive person that had gotten on the train track out there and flipped a switch when they're coming through one of the countries there and getting out of Germany and sent this train to Switzerland instead of the Dachau. Auschwitz. God did that. The pastor lived to talk about it, how his family and a whole number of families were spared because some man had the courage to switch that train track to go in a new direction. They weren't marched to that death camp, but they received light and life. You and I are the light of the world. Jesus Christ said that. We have the opportunity, don't miss this, to switch that train track for a whole bunch of people in this world. They're around us every day. Do I care about the people that I'm associated with enough to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do I care enough to let people know that there's hope in this world and His name is Jesus Christ? As we 
think about our invitation time. I want to share this last thought. Could it be that the most dangerous world in all the world, the most dangerous word in all the world, is tomorrow? Tomorrow. I have regrets as a dad growing up with my kids and say, well, why don't we do that tomorrow? Or why don't we do that later? Why don't we do it tomorrow? Kids would come and want to go out and do this or do that, and, well, maybe we'll do that tomorrow. I'm here to tell you, putting off salvation until tomorrow, tomorrow could very likely, most probably be the most dangerous word in the world, that I would put off something so very, very important and put that off. Because who in this room right now is guaranteed of tomorrow? None of us. Pray that we're all here tomorrow and pray that we're all here for years. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Could this be the last time you're ever going to have an opportunity to make this decision for Christ? I don't want to scare you totally, but I just want to concern you enough to really ponder these thoughts this morning. I know most of you in this room this morning, and you know I can probably assume that you're already Christians, but I don't know. We had a revival at Grove Avenue Baptist Church years ago when I was on the staff there and didn't have a pastor at that time. And another pastor and I were kind of leading the church, and so we called in Bailey Smith, one of the great evangelists in the nation at that time, still is. But uh, he led an evangelistic crusade there for a few days, and we saw 69 people get saved, and six of them were deacons, a couple Sunday school teachers, a lot of them were members just because his message, God's message, was that powerful. It's nothing I say this morning, but it's God's Word. It's the Holy Spirit working on your heart this morning. Don't you know, too, a lot of people say, well, I think I'm going to heaven. They think in good works. I'm here to tell you that heaven is not for good people. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people, okay? There needs to be that time when I ask Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. I repent from going my way to his way. I want to make sure that I have this relationship. I can say to you this morning that don't wait until it's too late. Because too late's too late.